Everybody's grabbing a seat. We're ready for our next talk. But Jessica, give her a hand. Give me one second because this is confusing. Sorry. All right. Okay. That's me, obviously. This is my super cute baby. So he's too young for nursery, so he's over there. Um, but this is reading and your kids. So very quickly before I start any slides or anything, a quick, uh, my reading story. Um, I did not grow up a reader. I was in the gifted and talented program, so I think phonics and all that came really easy to me. But I hated reading. Reading was really boring. You only did it in school. Um, I loved being read too. So I remember distinctly seventh grade, we read The Giver. And I loved that book so much. But I loved it because we were all reading it together. I wasn't going home and like, ooh, let me read this. So I, I hated reading. It was really boring. Um, I also grew up with two dyslexic parents. And that made them completely shy away from books. Uh, I, I don't even remember. I don't know if I ever saw my parents read. I remember my dad reading Chicken Little in kindergarten because it was my homework in kindergarten. Um, yeah, so there wasn't a lot of reading in my house. We had an encyclopedia set that I would kind of read sometimes. So I learned about myself that I like to read for information uh, at a very young age. But when it was books about like, oh, this little bear has a problem with his life. Like, eh. <laughs> I don't care about that. Uh, and this was me at like seven, right? So it wasn't until eighth grade, I was 14 years old, I discovered books by Lois Duncan uh, which these books are like supernatural, like astro projection, like teenage girls with supernatural abilities that are real. And so I was like, ooh. And from then on, I became a reader. I distinctly remember reading for Accelerator Reader, and I won my first ever CD player because of it. A CD player, for those that don't know. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> But yeah, it was just this very tangible thing with like reading had never really been my thing. I was a, I definitely wrote and I liked writing, but reading was again, it was something you only did at school. So keeping that in mind, um, I was not this person. I used to work at a nonprofit that everyone that talked there, it was all about reading and they were like, Oh yes, I grew up on my grandpa's lap reading and this. I'm like, no. no. I started reading when I was 14. That's that's my thing. I also understand that reading brings a lot of emotions out. Some people really struggled with it, and some people, a lot of the issues you had with other subjects were because of issues with reading. And so it can be a very emotional process. So I've also worked with adults who have uh, come back to trying to just improve their reading. So... Keeping all of this in mind as we get started, I don't know everything, uh, but I know a few things. So as you saw in my bio, I was a teacher, saw a lot of things with 14-year-old students and how to get them really engaged in reading. I also learned, at least where I was from, that by 14 years old, most kids had not read a book, a whole book, um, in their whole life, like beyond like a little, a little kid book. But they knew how to fake it by then. They had really learned how to cheat the system, the accelerator reader required point system, right? They, they knew all that. So by the time they got to me in eighth grade, they were reading. So all of this comes into 
me trying to learn more about it and getting my master's degree with an emphasis in literacy. So let's get started. Can you all read this out loud together? One, two, three. Okay, that was easy, right? Let's do the opposite. Ignore the letters. My apologies if you cannot see the colors. Um, so instead of reading, can you just say the colors in order? Go ahead and start. So why was that harder? Yeah, your brain sees the letters. After all these years, it has been programmed to read to read the word, right? You see the word, you automatically know what it is. You can read it really quickly. So when I change it up on you and say, no, ignore that and just read the colors, your brain is like, wait, what? What, do you, what are you asking me to do? The funny thing is, if I had a kindergartner in here who was just learning to read for the first time and I said, say the colors, they would say that really easily, right? Because they're not quite there yet where they see the, where their brain automatically reads the word. So the whole point of this is to show you that your brain is hard at work when reading. There's so many processes going on at once when you read that you don't even think about it because they happen in a split second. So I did it again. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to talk about cars now. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, there will be. So the same processes are happening. That's why McDonald's dropped the, they don't, you don't even need the words for McDonald's. And I don't even have to say what that other symbol is from. Because you've seen it so many times. Your brain is using representation and the knowledge of symbols to to just automatically know what that means. Your kids, before they know how to read, I bet they know McDonald's, right? You're driving along and they're like, ooh, burger. Yeah, because our brain is trained to take symbols, make representation, and, and draw meaning to that. But, so in addition to what you see, there's also what you hear. And that's why I'm not sure if you've heard, but before the age of five, it's so important to talk to your kids because before the age of five, that's when, do I have it here? 90% of the brain is developed. And there's some argument about, well, that's just brain mass and the size of the brain. It's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't learn anymore. But what it is saying is, at least in the terms of speaking to your kids, is that that's the time when their neurons are making the most connections. So just like when you see McDonald's, or Batman, the bat signal, symbol, signal, whatever. Just like you see this over and over again, then the more that your kids hear the sounds of your language, they're going to be better able to, un to recognize them in speech, in reading, and they'll be better prepared to be readers. So um, they do say read to your kids at a young age, and absolutely, but more importantly too, yeah, talk to your kids. More importantly, too, doesn't make sense. That's why I stopped. Um, more importantly, talk to your kids because if they do not know the sounds of the language, they're, they're going to have a really hard time interpreting that into a sound symbol. 
So if I see an R, but I've never heard the R sound, that's going to be a lot harder for me to make sense of. So again with the, I'm doing it again, Eric, sorry. <laughs> again with that, the more repetition, the more times that your brain sees and practices something, the more, the better, stronger the connections become. So a young child who is just learning the alphabet, just learning their sounds, should not be expected to read perfectly and, and say everything well. There's definitely a lot of patient that com- patience that comes into that. And so for us, think about when I had you read the colors. Not only did you read the words, but you knew automatically those are colors. Your brain categorized them. Your brain assigned meaning to them. Your brain also knew that the color didn't match the color that it was written in. So... All this to say that understand that your connections are a lot stronger than a child's. Um, I was working with struggling readers in kindergarten, and a lot of people that started working with them after two weeks where they just started school. So two weeks into school, they'd be like, I can't believe it, this kid doesn't know the alphabet. It's like, well, yeah, they've had, you know, at most maybe two weeks with it or a year of their whole life like where they just started learning this thing. You've had years and years and years. So the first thing to keep in mind is be very patient and understand what a kid is going through. So same thing, you see this, your brain knows these are letters. When these letters are put in this certain way, they make this sound and it means this. Also, you know that if I change the E to an O, what does that say? Rod. Rod. Believe it or not, that is a very difficult concept, that, and that is a learned thing. To switch out a letter and put another one in, it, com- it c- creates a whole different word. And that, again, that's another step. Even Starbucks, sorry, I think this should have gone sooner, but Starbucks, they recognize the power of your brain to just see something and automatically know and associate, and maybe even your taste buds are moving right now. So they recognize that so much that they changed their logo. Uh, For this next thing, I need a a volunteer reader and a microphone, please. I saw Corey first, sorry. All right, Corey. So let's just see how hard the brain is at work when you read. Uh, If you could not read this out loud, just let Corey read it out loud. And, Corey, if you could read the title and the paragraph. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. The Boat in the Basement. A woman was building a boat in her basement. When she had finished the, the boot, she discovered that it was too big to go through the door. So he had to take the boat apart to get it out. She should have planned ahead. Goodman, 1996. Thank you, Corey. <laughs> Round of applause for Corey. <laughs> So, some of you may have seen she corrected some things. Others of you are like, well, I don't, I don't know what happened. Did you catch all of it? Let's see. So, raise your hand if your brain skipped the second the. About half the room. Yeah. 
So that first one, this is the most interesting to me. Your brain, when it sees double words, will skip it. It will see a, a rep- repetition and just be like, that's unknown. So that's why editing, if you ha- are an editor, that is such a hard job because you're telling your brain to slow down and not do what it's trained to do. Uh, the boots, Corey caught this. Did anyone not catch this? Yeah, so this is the boot. Uh, Corey did not catch the third one. She said through. It was too big to go, though. So she took context. She took her knowledge of sentences, took her knowledge of language. All of this information she took in to correct that. And I wouldn't say she's wrong. This is obviously written incorrectly. Um, But if I were to say, no, 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 read it correctly, right? Then I'm taking away meaning. I'm changing the whole purpose of reading to it has to sound perfectly instead of just read it for meaning. Uh, She caught the he and a part and should have planned ahead. This is hard for people because this is how we talk. Yeah, we say should have planned ahead. Mm -hmm. So the whole point of this paragraph is to show you that there are so many things at work that help you understand what you are reading. So I know you can't read all of this, but this is where most of us are reading right now. We are using all of these different skills to read perfectly. And all of these things are happening, again, at at split second. What often happens in school sometimes and with online programs or computer programs is that they isolate each individual thing. But the problem is, is that we, the brain does not work in isolation. The, the brain is not thinking, okay, let me target this one specific skill. It happens all at once. And if you can address these things individually, that's still fine. I'm not saying that isolation is always bad. I'm just saying that if you only focus on one thing, then you're missing the whole point. And even the very top one says background knowledge. This is probably the greatest indicator of comprehension that you will have. For example, if I'm reading an article about baseball, and I've never played baseball in my whole life because I'm used to cricket, right, something like that, then my chances of comprehending that article are very, very low. For example, I'm going to skip this real quick. No, I'm not. Okay, so my chances of comprehending are very low. Let me show you really quickly what it's like to isolate. So we have some sounds right here. If you could all follow me. The first one is p. Could you all say p? Second one is ah. So p, ah. Next one is sh. Last one is e. All right, P-A-S-H-E. Got it? Let's read. So you got the first one. I'm hearing a lot of pop. What about this one right here? Now, I forgot to mention when these two are together, they make the K sound. <laughs> So imagine being a third grader, okay, third, maybe not third grader, imagine being a first grader and someone does that to you. They show you the sounds first, sorry, they show you the sounds first, and then they show you this in isolation, no context whatsoever, 
You have no idea what's going on, but I tell you, read it. And then I get upset with you when you can't read it. Yeah, imagine how that must feel. So other ways, for those of you that have very young kids, I'll just tell you really a really quick tip. Slow it down. Instead of asking you to read it, what can you do? So the p sound, how many times does the p show up? Six times. Yes. Small, successful steps. Exactly. So instead of, hey, let's read this whole thing out of context and in isolation, uh, let's, do, let's take it small, and I'm the adult, and I'm here to help you and give you support. So I have another one. If I have, can I have one more volunteer reader? Uh, let's go this way. Oh, Keith? Okay. Did you? This is on... Here you go, sir. All right. Twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borogoves and the mome wraths outgrabe. That was beautiful. A round of applause. So, Keith, let me ask you a question. These slithy toves, why did they gyre and gimble? Well, I've thought about this a lot, and... <laughs> What was the question again? What? <laughs> Why were they gyring and gimbling? It was really cold. Really? Uh, mm -hmm. Because they, the the Borgos were mimsy, mainly, and the outgrade. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so again, kids have been in this situation as well. You give them something, and they sound perfect. They're like, wow, that was beautiful. You sound great. And the minute I ask you a que them a question, they're just like, eh, I, I don't know. So it's not enough to be able to sound good. Just like Keith, you've probably thought a lot about this, right? But Keith read it so beautifully, but there's no comprehension there. There's some words, some language structures that you can tap into, but without, again, context and meaning, then what are you really doing besides saying something out loud that sounds really good? So the first thing, the purpose of reading is to make meaning. I was in a conversation with a middle school, or I think it was middle school, a middle school administrator. Um, and so I was in the room, he was in the room, this was over dinner. And someone asked, well, why do we even have reading class? And the administrator's answer was, um, to get kids up to a certain skill that is testable and we can make sure that they have mastered reading. Which is a very great administrator answer because that is where their thoughts are, right? But think about you today. Why do you read? All these other things. Does anyone test you on your reading? <laughs> Those of you that aren't in school... <laughs> Yeah, today, no one is testing you for comprehension unless you have, you know, unless you actually do that for a living. But no one is checking A, B, C, or D, right? So the purpose of reading is to make meaning. That's the whole goal. <clears throat> and there are three things needed. How am I doing on time? I can't tell. When am I supposed to end? I don't remember. 
Okay, thank you. I'll just take two more minutes with this. There's three things that you need to be great readers. Knowledge of syntax, that sentence structure. For example, if I say, I love to elephant. Yeah. No one's laughing. No one knows what that means. You know that's not a sentence. That's knowledge of syntax. Knowing that something is not a sentence. It doesn't quite sound right. Uh, just like when Corey read, she had to go through. Her brain said, eh, that doesn't sound right. Let me put what is right in there. Knowledge of language, all of the sounds of language, the sh, the k, ah. So again, if, you're, if your kid is bef- uh, under the age of five, hearing a different language is really good because then, again, their brain will allow them to use those sounds of all the different languages and have it in the, in the repertoire. Uh, knowledge of the world, again, this is probably one of the most important things to help you with comprehension. Does your, do your kids understand, you know, what it means to live in the desert, what it means to uh, sail a boat. I still don't know, starboard, what side that is. <laughs> Apparently you all don't either, okay? But knowledge of the world, it's really important to expose people to different experiences so that when they read about those experiences, they can say, oh, I remember that. I went to the zoo and I saw the elephant there and I saw that he had tusks. So even knowing that word, tusk, it's a very special word that only usually goes with animals and you have to know that. But if you've never been to the zoo, if you've never talked about elephants or seen them in your whole life, how are you going to know? So this just came out. This was a headline. Think of, I, I won't talk about this, but think of all the things you have to know in order to understand this. All the things at play in order to understand this headline. Right? Your knowledge of sentences, the saints, saints is capitalized. You know that's a proper noun. You know that saints is probably not talking about a saint like religious saint. Um, so it's probably a football team because the word foot Super Bowl is in there. All of these things are happening at, this, at a split second in your brain. Yep. So all of these things have to take place. But again, if you know nothing about football, if you know nothing about the English language, this is going to be meaningless to you. So the, here are four things. Reading happens in relationships. It's better to sit and read with your kids than to send them to the room to read quietly, right? Read something together for fun to get information because ha- reading in relationships is more effective than isolated reading, independent reading with no help. With that said, there is room for independent reading. Make books and other reading material easily accessible. I once tutored a kid, and I went into his house, and I said, okay, where are your books? And he's like, oh, I have tons of books. So, okay, show me. Buried in the closet at the very bottom, right? And it took us about 20 minutes to empty everything out so we can get to them. Make the books very accessible. Um, So whether that means put one in the kitchen, two in the bedroom, right? Just have them readily accessible, Read to and with your kids. Read yourself. It's important for them to see you reading because, again, like me, I thought reading was just something you did in school. Uh, I did not really see it in my life. So if they see you reading, then they're more likely to think, oh, this is just something people do. Read widely. If your kid wants to read about airplanes, aliens, and, I don't know, different things with the, the human body, then read about that. 
Um, instead of this is, this is what good re- English is, these are what good books are, we're only going to read this. So read widely. That also means read the back of cereal boxes, read magazines, read a bunch of different things. It doesn't have to be a book. And more importantly, read to understand. Every single time you read, it should be to understand what you are reading. And finally, pay attention. Pay attention to what they're reading. Pay attention to when they make a mistake. They're not really called mistakes in in our world, in the reading world. They're called miscues. So what does that mistake tell you about what they understand about what they're reading? You can learn a lot from just listening. So I think I'm out of time, right? Yes. Um, I'm going to go ahead and skip this, but just so you know, This is what my thesis was on. I would love to talk about it, and I would love to talk to you about that. So uh, feel free to ask me questions. But, Eric, I think I'm done, right? So I can take questions now. Okay. Cool. All right. Any questions? Yes. Hi. So, well, I have two questions um, about the reading in reading with your kids. Mm-hmm. And um, at what age do you say, oh, yeah, that's okay to not do that anymore? Uh, never. Actually, so I'm pointing to a, an article that came out of the New York Times that said, even if your kid's 14, keep reading to them. Uh, I think everybody loves to be read to at some point in some way. Um, so if your kid says mom, you need to stop, I hate this, then you don't want to torture them. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there's any age where you can stop reading to your kids. Okay, and then my next one is reading on screens. Like, um, as for from the adult, like, I feel like if my kids see me, I'm reading on my phone, I'm reading the news, but they're just like, oh, mom's on her phone again. So mm-hmm. there's the child seeing the adult, and then is there a difference in a child if they're reading on paper or reading on a screen? To my knowledge, there, there have been a lot of research studies on technology and things like that. And it's more about um, what's more important is that when there's a screen in front of you, then you're not interacting. And so the interaction is where comprehension happens, is where all of that information happens. So relying on a screen to teach your kid how to read is often not effective because, again, they're doing it independently versus with a trusted adult. Um, but to my knowledge, there's no, as an adult, um, there's no difference if you read on a tablet or if you read a physical book besides um, some other things, but I don't think it, it'll impede your reading. For a kid, again, it's more about um, the relationship and, and other things that are missing when you put a tablet in front of them. I was just wondering what, um, like, books do you recommend that have book lists for kids? Yeah. um, Do you have anything like that? There's a lot of really great websites. So I'm not sure about books because books get printed and then those are outdated. Um, The ACLU, American... Civil Liberties Union. Oh, no, not that. (laughs) The library, there's... um, I can tell you that one, yes. Can you say that again? Thank you. ALA. They usually have a great list every year, and it usually comes out before summer, so they give you summer lists. Um, but definitely check out, um, Pinterest has some good lists as well uh, that are pretty easy, but you can also just Google 
great books for kids, and if you trust the site, then it's probably really good. So when when we did the uh, the colors, like you know, I had no problems with the text, but I also had no real delay in just being able to call out whatever the color the text was written in. Cool. What's going on with that? That you had no issues yeah. with the colors? I think that your brain is just superior to. Every- no, I don't. I really don't know. <laughs> No, I think I think some people can do that, and some people can switch their brain, uh, switch that part of their brain off. Um, I don't, I can't tell you what's actually going on. I just know it's difficult for most people because we are trained to see the letters. Uh, Starboard is right. <laughs> um, uh, the the uh, the slide you had with the rope, you know, the company. That's yeah, really good. Uh, <clears throat> All those factors that go into reading, is that something you try to pinpoint when people are having trouble? Like, you try to find which one of those and, and, and use certain exercises to, like, is there a way mm-hmm. that you do that? Yeah, so you can, um, but the, the key is very rarely do you do that in isolation. So if I determine this is a vocabulary issue, then I'm not going to just give you the word and have you write down the definition. I'm going to use the word in context. So I'm going to show you all the different ways that this word is used. Um, so yes, uh, people, like I, I'll do that. I will assess and find like the different areas that they're struggling and then I'll find ways to help them while reading a book usually. So I, I'm not going to give them a worksheet to do that. I'll say, here's a book. Now, oh, look, here's this thing that we need to work on right here. But it's context. We're, we're going to actually, uh, we got one kid back there. The Yay. Yay. Then we're gonna, <laughs> Uh-oh. We're going <laughs> to. Right. So the question I had is, um, so when you were, um, like, a teacher, did you, like, um, find, like, a way to help the kids like reading and have, like, a tactic? Yeah. Um, I will be honest. I became a teacher at 22. I had no idea how to teach reading, but I did it. And my third year, The Hunger Games came out as a movie. Um, I found that when I became a reader, when I read for fun and I got really into the books then I can get my kids into that book. So Hunger Games came out that one of the years, and I was super excited about it, and I was able to get most of my 150 students excited about it as well. Um, so I think as far as loving reading, I think there you do have to be really enthusiastic about what is being read. It's very hard to be enthusiastic about, For I told Eric this, the one-eyed cat. Um, I remember distinctly, I read that in eighth grade. I still... Like, that was torture to me, reading that. Um, so I think finding something fun that you are actually interested in is really important to get you to love reading. That's, like, what happened to me. I, I was 14. I found books that I really loved, and that's what got me started. I found my genre. All right. Let's, let's give Jessica right. a hand. Thank you.